people are a massive resource to gain out of yes. war. Yeah. When, like throughout history, they were it was used in the form of slavery, but today it would more than likely be in the form of you like you take control of the people in the land and then you use the people to whatever means as far as production goes. Right. So when you have when you have the Bitcoin equation, not only are the people removing their wealth, but they're removing themselves as well. Yes. So like so like when the when the evil actor or the warmonger comes to the area, it's like fine, you can have this, but there's nothing here. Yes. How are you going to produce the land if there's nobody to produce it? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Mike Hobart, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hey, how's it going, Robert? I appreciate you for inviting me on, man. Of course, man. It's great to have you. Um, we just had a good little powwow before this episode, kind of laying out the difficult territory we're going to try to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I love difficult uh, conversations. <laughs> well, this one is especially tricky because we are going to be conversing about the nature of conversation itself, I guess, in some ways. Um, Thanks. So you wrote a piece uh, titled Fighting PSYOPs, Victimization, and Depression. And you're giving me the synopsis of that piece. Um, maybe that would be a useful place to, to get the ball rolling on this. Uh, okay. On this conversation about conversation. Okay. Um, so first I'll state that I 
misunderstood which one we were talking about in the beginning, but so I'll actually talk about both of them um, okay. in, in the sense because they were both very closely related. So with this piece, with the, the fighting the psyops, um, I think one of the a major problem we're having as far as culturally um, within not just the United States but broader, especially Western developed nations, is that it seems that populations are failing to be capable of disconnecting from their their current environment or their reality. Um, in the sense of to whether it's to identify incentives that are being like kind of like parsed out as far as like, you know, this politician said some really great things, but like what are their incentives? A lot of times we have to disconnect from our world and like disconnect our emotions and our biases to the best of our capability to understand what's most likely probably going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also not just our political sphere but with specifically handling depression or what's going on with all of these whether it's happening in the social sphere is an actual psychological operation which are very real mm-hmm. or if it's something that psyop is just like the the easy solution but is not what is actually going on mm-hmm. um and it also touches on the difficulties with like mental health that's going on specifically in the u.s with like depression anxiety all this stuff because as an individual like i and i i'm confident in what i'm saying here because i went through these issues as far as like depression and anxiety like 10 years ago mm-hmm. um one issue is that being capable of disconnecting from your current situation and just assessing not only your life where it is now but where it is going into the future where you want it to go and then seeing how you can get there right mm-hmm. i use the example of um Soldiers have to do this when they're going into combat. They have to look at the the map and the terrain and the environment to see how things lie, to see where they're going to most likely in, interact with their enemy, mm-hmm. um, to see where the most likely routes of egress and retreat are, like all this stuff. They have to see it without the emotion that they're likely going to have towards the enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but with the anxiety and depression angle, we have to kind of like take a step back and realize that anxiety and depression, specifically anxiety, isn't necessarily what I would be mental health state. Anxiety is a signal by the body that something is wrong and something needs to be changed. And then the chronic anxiety comes from not doing things to alleviate that anxiety. So that anxiety stays there. Like, the, like mm-hmm. that's your body and your brain telling you. Hey, like you're not making changes that need to be made so that you can like start alleviating your issues and your problems. Um, but then the so like the other article that we're that I misunderstood when we were talking before this our powwow was uh very similarly re- related in the sense of um the great American can like what I called the the American conspiracy or like the American idiocracy. Um mm-hmm. what I talked about in that article was that it seems like a lot of people is similarly to the site, psych, the psychological, psychological operations and psyops conversation is that every, so many people are trying to find the simple solution. Oh, it's a psyop. Oh, it's the, the world economic forum. Oh, it's this James Bond esque giant evil organization that is driving all these individual actors towards a specific goal. Mm-hmm. What I argued in that article is that while I understand the desire for that solution, the likely reality is that's not the case. The likely reality is that, excuse me, 
what we've got going on is multiple different individually driven factions that are all vying for power mm. and they're all producing negative outcomes that feed that can feed into each other producing a flywheel mm. right a flywheel effect for picking up in momentum mm. and then from like the very high level observations it can look like one specific intellectually driven operation yes but in reality it's just a bunch of systems that are working synergistically together yes that's a great framing for this so first thing i'd like to unpack a little bit there is we use this word depression yeah now there's a psychological form of depression where people are disenchanted about their life their future prospects etc but then there's also the economic form of depression which is yeah. a, a severe economic recession right a decline in productivity wealth unemployment etc and I, I just wanted to tease out what is the why do we use that same term for both of those phenomena and it seems to me that it's somehow rooted well depression and i, I have never I don't think suffered from psychological depression, so I can't speak to it firsthand. But from what I've heard secondhand through psychologists and whatnot, that it has something to do with very low prospects of the future, right? Like you evaluate your future chances at whatever it is you want to do as pretty low, or you can't even choose like a path. Sometimes people don't even want to get out of bed, right? They don't, there's nothing yeah. to do. There's no for, no forward to move toward something like that. Very closely related to nihilism in that respect. To nihilism, yes. And then in an economic depression, so there's a, let's say there's a failure to properly relate with your future self, something like that. Sure. And then in an economic depression, you have that sort of as well, and that people are, well, you don't have a job. You don't have any money. You don't have any, there's nothing to produce. Like you, you don't have anything yep. to do. You're hungry. You don't have shelter, right? There's there's very dim prospects for the future, and I, I get the, I guess the assertion I wanted to tease out is: Are the does it do these phenomena both have to do with broken messaging systems? Because I know that psychological depression can be caused by just uh, problems in your neurochemistry, right? Like some people can just take a I don't know what the medication is, Prozac or something. SSRIs. Like that. SSRIs that just sort of chemically correct the messaging and they can come out of depression. Now that doesn't solve that for everyone, obviously. Sometimes yeah. you need to actually, as you were saying, it's a signal, right, to deal with things in your life, things that aren't being addressed. And then obviously in the cases of economic depression, well, I think the libertarian perspective would be it typically has to do with state intervention or broken money. So the, the messaging system, the price signals are not allocating capital in accordance with the plans and preferences of market actors. So you get well, depression. And to, to your point, um, depressions are, I would even argue depressions, economic depressions are a result of the miscommunication or the, the failed communication yes. protocol, right? Like the, the over printing of money, for example, or like a broken markets kind of dynamic. I would, I would agree with you on that. So that's what I was wanting to tease out. I was like, is there is that the common 
that might be the right frame to put around most things in reality is that they're messaging systems. So, you know, organisms are messaging systems, yeah. economies are messaging systems. Our bodies are literally just a messaging system. Yeah. Businesses are messaging systems, you know, like organisms, what do you say? Organs, organisms, organizations are all kind of messaging systems on, on different scales. Yeah. And when you mess with the messaging, <laughs> you get bad outcomes like depressions. Yeah. Um, and specifically that messaging can be in the form of a money. Yes. It can like, if you're, if you're going to be flippantly or fraudulently producing the messaging system, like the U S dollar mm -hmm. and just printing as many as you want, you're going to screw up the actual messaging system. And so like the way that I described this on our Bitcoin veterans podcast was that think, think about an economy, like a, like a, the AC in your, in your house or your apartment. That air conditioning unit, you can set it to be like, you're going to prevent temperature from going down to 68 and above 72, right? Mm -hmm. You want to maintain that range. Yes. Now, if every time the heat kicks on, when you go down to 68, mm -hmm. if you're also dropping in a little bit of mercury into the little vial every single time that it relies on, eventually it's going to start thinking, the thermostat's going to start thinking it's too hot. But right. in reality, it's not at all. So the system is going to keep running and running and running and running. And then eventually mm. the AC, the lights are going to freeze up and the entire system is going to break. That's right. So like you, you can't keep introducing the unit of measure that you rely on to message the health of the system. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, you're distorting the standard at which you evaluate the state of the room against, right? Like the, yeah. the, the amount of mercury in that vial should represent the temperature setting that you want it to be. But if you add mercury to it, then it's going to think it's higher than it should be or lower than it should be, I guess, depending on what yep. you're doing it. And then that can drift into this vicious cycle, right? Yes. And that I think is what you're describing when you say, although it may seem like there is a James Bond-esque group out there pulling all the strings, that it's more likely, given the complexity of the world and human psychology and human society, that there's multiple factions competing for power and the negative yep. externality of that is the whole thing is like drifting into a vicious cycle. Like we're yeah. tilting one way. Um, yep. And this is that, you know, this is how biology works, right? This is how weather systems work. They tend to yep. have a vicious cycle or a virtuous cycle kind of spiraling up or spiraling down. Um, well, and it's, it's specifically if like the balance, the naturally meted out balance of that environment or that system is disrupted. So like look at look at like the lion what the lionfish did in the southeast coast of the United States. Like it is it was it is not it's that that is not his natural habitat. I believe his natural habitat is like over around the Indian Ocean or something. Mm -hmm. It got introduced unnaturally by humans, and now because it's got like it's got the um, adaptations to provide it to allow itself to survive in the other environment. Right. His adaptations in the southeast coast make it a like an apex predator to where it's oh they're re, they're overproducing and destroying ecosystems right and that's where that's where uh um the i can't remember what the word you said it's the opposite of the virtuous cycle vicious vicious cycle yeah. that's where the vicious cycle it got disrupted so it's going to carry out all the way until whatever end that is yeah and that end can be to where like it just results in the death the death like large swat deaths of the lionfish 
or yeah. it goes all the way to the point of destroying the ecosystem, resetting everything to zero, and then it has to rebuild up from there. Yes. And that's a great way to emphasize the complexity too, because what may seem like a virtuous cycle from the perspective of the lionfish today could ultimately lead yeah. to a catastrophic vicious cycle of population collapse right if they become so dominant for the, for the whole ecosystem yeah. the lionfish and then it cuts off the ecosystem and then it would die yeah so it's and that the the virtual cycle for the lionfish would obviously be a vicious cycle for the other populations <laughs> that are being predated out of existence or otherwise yep. squeezed out of existence so this is yeah we're, we're talking about the complex stocks and flows of reality and you know whether yep. they're virtuous or vicious is a matter of perspective, I guess. Yeah. Well, and and we can get into like the more cultural stuff too that we were talking about, like with regards to like the understanding that these are all energy distribution mechanisms, mm -hmm. right? Like it can, it, like the energy within uh, within an ecosystem is literally energy distribution of the sun. Like it's yeah. feeding into an ecosystem, providing the plant life, life, the herbivores, uh, omnivores, the carnivores. Like life is just a, what I referred, life is like a complex battery, right? Like the, the more life that you can be sustained, the more energy can be than our, within our planet, within the ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And then the other form of energy too, that we were talking about is like the cultural energy. Mm -hmm. Like what's like, we're seeing a lot of stuff being played out right now between the Middle East, um, Eastern Europe, um, tensions rising, uh, in the, like the Southeast Asia seas, um, things going on within america like there's ways to think about this in the sense of uh in the the physics um example of energy diffusion right i can't remember um the what was the what was the technical term you used you're saying you, pressure differentials and diffusion early. yeah because you're uh there is a, a i can't remember the concept that you use like unit per unit of account or something like that oh, um, content per unit volume would be pressure yes yeah yes content per unit volume yeah um so like people can like use that to look at what's going on culturally with all these pressure systems to like you also think about it like meteorology meteorological like weather yeah. so like pressure always diffuses from a position of high pressure down to low yes so like what we're seeing in, in all these different hotspots is about the pressure is building. Eventually that pressure is going to diffuse into low pressure areas. Yes. I don't know what exactly that means. It can be um, kinetic conflict. It can be economic conflict. It can be psychological conflict. It can be migration. all of it. Or, yeah. Migration. Yeah. That's another yeah. great example. It can be all of it. Yeah. And so like, it's important to like, just like realize that that's how these things like, all like almost all of reality operates within these roles because another example would be uh nutrient absorption in the body and distribution of resources it's all off of pressures mm -hmm. from high pressure to low so like when you eat something that's high protein content and you just had a workout you're consuming high protein pressure and your body is in a protein pressure deficit mm. that's why we're capable of taking it in interesting and that's also why, like, we can only absorb so much resources and so much nutrients at a given time, right? Because it's pressure differentials. So it's the bioavailability of nutrients has to do with those pressure differentials. It can, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And 
economics, I mean, I, the pressure there, like it really comes down to who owns what, right? It's all about, we talk about this a lot on the show, but how private property is just the foundation of the whole thing. Yeah. And it's only, again, we can simplify the world by talking in terms of groups, religious affiliations, race, whatever it may be, but the reality that we actually inhabit is individual human beings acting with a purpose right yeah you can assign them whatever group you want you can assign yourself to whatever group you want but it still belies the reality of there are only acting individuals yes and to take us maybe circle back to where we started this um this is kind of where we're trapped in language right like we need to use the map of language and knowledge with the understanding that it is limited in its scope. We cannot capture everything inside of words. However, it is the best tool we have for the job in terms yeah. of conveying ideas and concepts and hist historical events and possible futures. Like we have to reconcile these things with ourselves and with one another and language is the best tool we have for the job. I'm reminded of the quote that um, language is a very thin pipe to try and convey something as complex as consciousness. So it's, it's, it's the people, and this is important because if you don't have a respect or even a reverence for the finitude or limitations of language and knowledge, then you, could fall victim to totalizing knowledge, thinking that you have the final answer or the final solution or the correct answer. And that is the basis of totalitarianism, right? Totalizing knowledge. Yeah. Uh, also yep. foundational to evil. Evil is the force yep. that believes its knowledge is complete. So if you think that your knowledge or your language is final, that's where you should really start to question yourself. Um, yeah. But again, this is hard and, to talk about because we're using language to describe the limitations of language. So you're talking about using the instrument, hopefully to its highest purpose, to undermine the very instrument you're you're using in a way. So it's, yeah. it's very complicated to talk about. And it's well, and it, it's really important to talk about too because, like, it's it's I find it entertaining how we can talk about science or art or communication as if they're different they're mm -hmm. all the same they're all a, an art form in a sense like because mm -hmm. like like what you were just talking about with me but with communication it's the best that we have and we're basically constantly always updating it or upgrading it mm -hmm. because we're constantly using that communication to find the finer like depths of the limits of our communication to try and push those limits even farther right like we're constantly looking for new words or new ways to describe things in increasingly deeper and more precise points. Mm -hmm. um, science is doing the same thing. Now, the, the, the problem that people, that we all need to keep like reminding ourselves of is that we are doing the best that we can with what we have now, mm -hmm. which means there's almost always going to be something that is missing. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Going back to, the, to your communication point with the a very you, communication is a very fine pipeline to describe a very very broad concept like mm -hmm. and it 
And the reason I get entertained by it is because say like with the, uh, I went to college for exercise science. So say with like the exercise science field or physiology, we are constantly learning that we don't know much about anything. Yes. Constantly. I guess like, we don't even know, like we don't even fully understand what's going on in our own bodies. We don't understand fully what's going on in our own planet. We, we haven't mapped all of the deep oceans. So going back to your, your points on totalitarianism and evil, to think that we know everything now is not only evil, but it's foolish yes. and it's unwise, which yes. I guess foolish would be unwise, but it's just like, yes. I don't understand how people cannot like fully grasp that. Yes. No, that, I love that you brought wisdom into the conversation. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, 1, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash what is money. Socrates said the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. And I okay, think in the Bible like it is is the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Wait, was it no fear of the Lord is it? And the, the translation of the fear of the Lord, you could say it's awe or reverence of God. And again, God, I'll use a very precise meaning here. The word for that which is beyond words, basically. So it's like the number zero. And understanding. So the number zero is a cat, a numerical category for no categories, for no numbers, right? So there's a word that we'll use here. God it has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people, but I'm going to use it specifically to say that which is ineffable, basically. That which is beyond yeah. words. So to have awe or reverence for that which is beyond words is the beginning of wisdom. This is biblical. Yeah. Um, because you're you're in, you're in awe of what is beyond your understanding. Because if you don't understand it, you can't put it into words. That's right. Well, you're, once again, you're reading between the lines. You're using context, right? You're you're looking through the words to get closer to reality, but you're never mistaking the words for reality, right? You don't mistake them yeah. for the territory. So there's a constant. Yep orientation to language and knowledge that is that it is provisional in nature it's it's really meant to undermine itself over time as we get more precise language more precise tools more precise formulas like we come we go from force equals mass times acceleration to e equals mc squared you know we get more precise with our definitions of reality and so the the danger is the dogma right if you ever get fully attached and you're like no it's force equals mass times acceleration everyone else is gonna die and it will never change it will never change then you then you 
preclude yourself from ever discovering E equals MC squared. I'm pick, I don't know that these actually interconnect that way, but I just picked two physics formulas <laughs> that I know. No, but I, right. I, but it is important because like, so just described and discussed was the yin and yang of communication. And these, these kinds of, these kinds of relationships, these synergies, these balances are mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. They're all over in the universe. But one of the problems with the, one of the, uh, fallacies of the human species of what it seems or at least maybe just our times right now maybe it's mm. because it's the modern era and because we have smartphones in our pockets we think we are all knowing and know everything um these yin and yangs are everywhere in yes. all of reality because you have to have that balance you have to have the duality of the two different systems competing and feeding each other so that you can consistently push forward yes yes well said um and I want to try to connect this to, because it sounds like we're beating up language and knowledge, but I want to also. But it's also it. refining it, just like, just like it's, it's pounding new it. steel. It's exactly. It's meant to reach beyond itself and refine itself, right? This, this is yeah. the, kind of the cumulative human enterprise. We said that we're using God as a word for that, which is beyond words. But this is also true of truth, right? If truth, if we mean yeah. by capital T truth, like the ultimate reality. Well, there is something beyond words. So the truth of the ultimate reality would be also beyond words, which is another way of yes. saying the map can never be the territory. This undermining yep. of language and concept, or I'm sorry, undermining of language and knowledge is bringing us closer to truth over time. All right. Yeah. And this is a very fundamental human motivation. I love the example that John Verveke gave. Uh, he was a guest on the show. He said he polled his audience once. Sorry, polled his students. He's a professor of philosophy. And he said, how many students here would consider it their highest aim in life to have a loving, caring partner, like a you know sustainable relationship, someone that fully understands you, loves you, gets you, that you fully love, understand, and get? And you know, 90% of the students raise their hand. It's like something they really want, right? I would say it's like their highest aim in life. And he goes, yeah. okay, what if I told you you could have that, but your partner was seeing someone else on the side and you didn't know about it, all right? So you had all the things you wanted, but the partner was also had a you know a side piece that you didn't know about. How many of you yeah. still want that? Consider that your highest aim in life. Most everyone puts their hands down, right? Goes, so you <laughs> yeah. see, it's not that you want loving committed partnership is you want that based on truth yeah right you, you so truth is there's a very fun everyone wants we say ignorance is bliss but no one wants to be willful willfully ignorant i would say most people i, I don't want to universalize this but most people <laughs> would prefer to know right rather than admittedly yeah. and willfully condemn themselves to ignorance i think most people don't want to do that now people will tell untruths in pursuit of power i think that's a different thing but people yes. tend to want to know the truth even if they don't always want to speak the truth so to get closer to to satisfy that motivation for truth seeking we have to engage in this undermining process of language and knowledge yep. to understand that we're like mapping the territory but when we map it from another perspective or for another purpose or in another way or at a deeper level that we're going to have new words, new concepts, new formulas, et cetera. Um, yeah. So yes. that was well put. 
Thank I you. don't know. I don't know where. I don't know what the what the add on to that. That's 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 <laughs> really that's a really well put uh, description. Um, yeah, I didn't. The, the, it's actually that brings us to a topic. Is like communications and like finding a mate and how that relates to an economy and all that stuff. Like all like all of these signals are getting screwed up right now. Mm. All of them and. We we were talk we were discussing in our powwow, uh, and I agree with something you brought up. Is I think that unfortunately all of this access and innovation and acts breadth and depth of communication today is screwing up not just markets, but it's screwing up the economy and it's screwing up the the nuclear family, which is feeding back on the economy. Because mm. um, I don't think. I don't think enough, and this is, I apologize, this is kind of getting into like the dating topic, but I don't think enough people are really realizing that we are, we are manipulating the supply of communication or the supply of our access to the point of where we're flooding the supply, which means we're diminishing the value. Right. Like the quality of communication is so poor now because we have such a high quantity we have such breadth of access as far as like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 a year. But we also have the depth because of FaceTime, text messages. This is two, um, two partners, two romantic partners you're saying. This yeah. Accessibility. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, I don't think it's just romantic partners either. I think it's friendships too. Mm. Because like, okay. like if you, like if you look at what's going on with like the younger generations now, like um, you can talk about incels if you want, but like, it's also like, there's issues with, I think the primary issue is also with young men. Like they don't have meaningful friendships. Anymore. Mm. Um, and all of this stuff is getting to the point of where, because we have all of this access and all this depth and breadth of communication, the relationships in general, whether it's a meaningful sexual relationship with another partner or if it's just friendships, relationships are becoming plastic when they used to be mm. durable mm. because we have this overabundance of access. And it's getting to the point now where in order to fight that fight back on that, people have to manufacture their own absence. Mm. Like they have to forcibly remove themselves from being capable of being like reached out to or contacted in order to create that uh well like what was that like um absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Yeah. So like we're getting to this point now where because of innovation and technology. We have to manufacture our own absence so that we can maintain healthy relationships. Mm. It's really, really backwards. That's, yeah. So how we got into this in the offline was, <laughs> I told you, I was thinking deeply about markets, um, really trying to get to the question, what is the biggest market problem in the world? Obviously, talk a lot about money. I think money is the most important economic market in the world. The problem yeah. there being central banking. However, yeah. I don't think that's actually the most important market in the world when I really got to thinking about it. Because when you get to the bottom of it, the all markets basically exist to serve one market, and that market is the market for human reproduction. Yeah. If there were not new humans coming online every you know, successively generation after generation, 
then there would be no point in doing all of the other things we do, right? Like accumulating yep. capital and knowledge and building structures and ideas and civilizations. Like there'd be no one to making pass iPhones. That. Yeah, there'd be no one to pass that inheritance onto, right? We would just have this high time preference party until the last <laughs> generation died out, basically. So yeah. all of economics, all trade, all markets, I think exist to serve the market for human reproduction. And I think you brought in this angle on it that dating apps, social media, digital communications in general are making, they're distorting, bringing distortions to that marketplace. Yep. Whereas we now have this, you know, 24 by seven accessibility, not only to our partners or friends, but if something goes bad in your, say your romantic relationship, well, you can just download Tinder and you have 10,000 options at your fingertips, yep. right? Whereas there used to be work necessary to go out and like start a new relationship that it's, it's become. And you were limited by geographic proximity. Exactly. So, and then your metaphor is we've turned, this has created decline in the quality of relationship to where relationship has become something more disposable or plastic like. Yeah. And less of a durable good. Yeah. Um, now, how, what, like, that seems like it would be a good thing in a market that you'd have more communication, more messaging, more options. What, I guess it's, it's just striking me as a bit counterintuitive. What is it that you think is causing this to be, uh, I don't know if good or bad is the right term, but it's causing this to be seemingly negative in the, the market for human reproduction? Whereas I would guess more communication, more transparency, more options would be good in almost any other market. I honestly, and this is going to get pretty philosophical as far as like with the Stoics and stuff. I think it's because there's lack of discipline. Mm. Um, and this, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I'm going to go on kind of take us on a journey a little bit to why we've gotten to this point. But if you think back to World War II, that was I the the population at that time leading into the draft. I view as probably one of the most principled populations we had coming out of like the great depression and everything and all that. Mm -hmm. And we sent our, our finest, most principled and brave male population over to fight a great evil across the pond or across the world. They get fractured and broken in the misery and horrors of war, especially world war. Mm -hmm. They come back they raise a generation in that broken state their own broken position creates broken children and then mm -hmm. like it continues to go farther and farther down right mm -hmm. and then a couple decades later they're exposed those children are further exposed to um the drafts through the vietnam war mm -hmm. and we get and then you have the whole feminist movement and all that other stuff like consistent tapping down of masculinity mm -hmm. and creating broken families to the point of where primarily fathers and men were not only failed but failed ourselves and we weren't raising individuals with with real meaningful discipline and, and self-control hmm. and we're now at this point where meaningful percentages of the population don't have the discipline required to kind of to identify as like oh wait i've gone through a large number of short-term relationships with the same person Maybe I need to change my behavior here. 
Mm-hmm. Instead, it's not that kind of introspection and reflection. It's, well, that ge- that gender is the problem. It's all mm-hmm. men or it's all women. Right. Like, that's the problem. And by doing that, like, the, that kind of mindset also, it just bleeds out from not just relationships, but everything, like body positivity, which is yeah. complete nonsense. Right. And... I that and that's the hard that and that's why I like talking about these things because like if you think about it from that position, all of the other stuff that we've talked about prior to that point feeds into what's driving all this, right? Broken money is is driving it because people can't save, mm-hmm. and if people can't save, like in a single individual that's in prime mating age time of their life, they can't save and go off get their own place and then try to make a family. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's like the 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 literal foundation of a healthy economy and society. Yeah, is the capability to produce your own family. Yeah. Um, and like like there's just there's all sorts of like just knock on effects and reverberations and ripples that all of these things produce. Wonderfully said. Um, I so what I hear you describing there's this intergenerational echo of pain or trauma that we've incurred in the West or in the United States since world war one. Um, and I think this connects, you know, we're talking earlier about one of the primary motivations of human beings being truth seeking, but then there's also people who are willing to speak untruths in pursuit of power. So there's a flip side to that. And that is the will to power. Yep. And so what, okay. So if world war one was a catalyst for, for this intergenerational echo of pain, that's caught, that still reverberates through us today. What was the cause of world war one? And that I think gets you into the central banking rabbit hole. Um, yeah. The fact that those wars were fought at such a scale, scope, duration, severity was only possible with printed money. And then you get into, okay, well, what is central banking? Well, it's the monopolization of gold, right? It's, it's the, the monopolization and control of gold, which is the primary instrument of power in the world. Um, and you but saw you can, this- you can chase you, you can chase that like way back to like the old ancient, like Italian families in the Vatican and everything. I start, I really, the way I start to perceive this and being in the what is money rabbit hole for so long is that you can track the geopolitical um, movements of history, they track very nicely to the flows of gold. Like one, <laughs> one, one for okay. instance, I'll give you is the reason North America, we didn't go into, the United States did not enter World War II until enough gold had been shipped out of European shores and put into American vaults. that it came to a point that okay our opponents are war wearied we now have all the gold why don't we enter this theater of war you know win finish the finish the job declare ourselves victorious and then the first thing we do is we hold the Bretton woods conference to rewrite the global banking order saying the u.s dollar is pegged to gold all the other currencies are pegged to the u.s dollar which gave the U.S. the exorbitant privilege to print dollars export inflation import goods and services and control gold so it's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's this will to power at a geopolitical scale that drove those wars, 
And then you talk about, I mean, how I don't know how this fucks us up. Of course, it fucks us up. It's um, there's also the element of untruth here, right? That we're using a money that's yep. not, not real. It's a lie, basically. It's a debt-based money, which is an oxymoron. As soon yep. as the dollar stopped being redeemable for gold in 1971, it, it's no longer money. It's not even a money substitute at that point. It's just a it's a confidence game that we're still yeah. in 50 some odd years later. Which, by the way, it is like a like the what's the um, I can't think of the word the uh, like con artist like right yeah. like the it's a, a yes being a con artist is a confidence game confidence man yes yeah. Sorry, exactly, that, that was the one thing I wanted to, the parallel I wanted to That's add. exactly what fiat currency is. It's a con artistry money, okay. con artist money, right? It's a confidence game. It's, yeah. Who's going to realize this thing is not backed by anything other than our prior belief in it, essentially? Like the greatest con, one of the greatest con, I, I would actually, I was the greatest con in the human species because then you have to deal with the Brandolini effect. I'm not familiar with that. The Brandolini effect is, um, in order to convince somebody that they have in in like in fact been convinced of a lie, mm-hmm. you have to expend I think it's uh, nine times as much effort to get them to realize it because mm-hmm. they don't want to accept that they have bought into a lie mm-hmm. because it's part of their identity. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the through line again of private property occurs to me. It's like yep. we start the central bank emerges as an institution to that has the ability to violate the private property of everyone using the currency by printing new units of currency. Okay, the proceeds thus stolen are used to fund war at a scale never before seen, World War 1, World War 2. Gold ends up in the United States as a result of Germany's blitzkrieg basically tearing through Europe. So then the yep. United States comes in, ends World War II, holds the Bretton Woods Conference. We hold all the gold. We now make the rules. U.S. dollar is global reserve currency. Everyone else is pegged to us. We run that con until 1971. Um, other nations are trying to repatriate their gold. When Germany asked to repatriate, we said, you know what? Enough of this. Nixon says, no more gold window. And we've been on a fiat currency standard ever since. Um and what you were saying earlier too, like the prime, the cornerstone of a civilization is the capability of the young virile male to be able to produce a family. Yeah. Well, well, and you're systematically violating the private property of especially the young, right? The people that are trying to get a toehold in this economic game. Yeah. The ones most getting dispossessed in an inflationary regime, right? It hurts those working on those living paycheck to paycheck, those living on fixed income, they get hurt the most in an inflationary regime, whereas asset holders benefit the most. You are disenfranchising that young virile male from his ability to start a family. Yeah. So how does this not lead to feminism and wokeism and all of this like insanity? Is that no one yep. can, the game the, the system is no longer working for the the young man, right? You know, the young man that, that yeah. leads civilizations. And it's, it's also important to um, really identify here too, is like when, like what we're talking about, it sounds like we're specifically talking about the now, but like that using the printer to steal, like the, the property isn't just now it's stealing right. the proper, the prospective property of the future. That's right. 
which is which is feeding into and producing all of this nihilism that is rampant specifically in the American society and culture today. Yes. Yeah, and back which to is the... feeding into the addictions. Yes, because I was going to say back to the beginning of talking about depression. Yep. The other consequence of all this money printing is that it's distorting price signals. So capital is getting misallocated. People are they're more desperate. So people are engaging in deceit, scams. You know, if you study the history of a hyperinflation like in Weimar, they had all this gender fluidity nonsense. They had a bunch of scamminess. Um, people literally go crazy. And yeah. so you get a broken messaging system, you get economic depression. It stands to reason that that would contribute to the development of individual psychological depression at some point. If you can't, yeah. if you can't do anything in life to get ahead, you're probably going to get depressed. And the one thing I wanted to add, I had to pull up my article because I have a, a quote from Frankel on this point from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is when a man can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Yes, yes. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening. And many a man thinks he is buying pleasure when he fails to realize he is actually selling himself to it. Yeah, exactly. It's and that pleasure, that pleasure can be will take the form of obviously drugs and alcohol, yes. but like gambling, which gambling yeah. can be through DraftKings or the stock market, like sure. or multiple houses for Airbnb when interest rates are zero yeah. percent, and then not being able to stay, take it, disconnect, like I was mentioning. Sure. And look at the landscape and where things are probably going to go and realize, oh, if I do this, it's going to actually hurt me in the long run. Yes. Right. Or crime, right? Outright crime. Yep. You know, dealing drugs and actually engaging in statecraft. You know, Hoppe, he makes gr a great point. And this is uh, a theory of capitalism and socialism, his book, Early Chapters. The extent to which you violate private property is the extent to which you disincentivize producers to produce. Because if, if I can only keep whatever it is, 50% of every dollar I make, well, then I'm disincentivized to produce by the tune of 50%. But on the flip yeah. side, you're also incentivizing whoever's on the, the take, you know, whoever's benefiting from that 50% stolen proceeds, you're incentivizing coercion which is a yep. non-productive activity. Every hour someone spends stealing <laughs> from someone else is an hour they did not spend producing. So again, vicious cycle. Once you yep. start engaging in the violation of private property, vicious cycle. You get central banking, World War One, World War II, uh, the collapse of the nuclear family, right? The, this, this destruction of social norms is cultural sickness. And um, and this this stuff can be stopped, like we were discussing earlier with like the lionfish example. It can be stopped by the system carrying itself through to a climax, mm -hmm. or the intervention through the through the adoption of individual and self discipline. Yes, like yes. like like so like when for example with with America, there's all the talk of like oh men think about the Roman Empire, whatever. Yes, the example of the Roman Empire everyone uses well. No, they almost use well, the Roman Empire did it. Clearly, the American Empire is about to do it. Yeah. To that, I disagree. Right. Because America is an experiment in governance and social organization that the world has never seen before. Yeah. And it's still very different from the rest of the world yes. to the point of where if the American population, if a meaningful percent of the American population takes up the call to arms to individual, um, individual discipline and responsibility yeah. and accountability 
we can offset or avoid a Roman Empire type situation. Yes. Right. And then we can continue the whole march for freedom and everything going off into the future and innovation and all that great stuff. I love this. But connection. it's important people understand that. This connection when you bring up self-discipline, because private property is essentially an institutionalized form of self-discipline. It's yeah. saying that you like it's just we're all playing pretend, right? Like I'm gonna go and create a bunch of things and I get to keep all those things that I create. And so do you, right? And so does everyone else. And as long as we all pretend that we actually have the exclusive rights to the fruits of our labor, then we actually all benefit from the social division yeah. of labor. Very but, similar to Bitcoin. But it's a game, right? Because it's a game of pretend, essentially. Like we can incentivize it, right? You have laws and things that regulate it and try to impose it or disincentivize yeah. theft, et cetera, et cetera. But when someone abdicates from that game and someone says, you know what? I'm just going to steal your sandwich. It's going to satisfy me now, you know, whatever to private property be damned. Then you start to drift into that vicious cycle. And I love what yeah. Ayn, Ayn Rand wrote on this. She said, at that moment, when you've just stolen someone's sandwich, you basically force has become the standard by which men interact yeah. at that moment. And yep. she says, when force becomes the standard by which men interact, then the murderer wins over the pickpocket. And that yes. society vanishes in a spread of ruins and slaughter. Like you yep. immediately tilt. So once you start breaking private property, you tilt from the virtuous cycle of economic division of labor, capital accumulation, innovation, human flourishing. You tilt it the other direction and you start to degenerate the entire game into barbarity. Yes. And so what is Bitcoin? It's incentivizing the self-discipline of private property. It's just yeah. making that game harder to abdicate from. It's harder to steal other people's private property in a world where Bitcoin is the standard. All right. Well, because we it, all have it, it recourse to a property that's really hard to steal. And it removes the kinetic aspect of it. Yes. Of being able to act upon somebody else's life to take what they have stored within the meat space. Yes. Right. Because there is no vault to plunder after you take their life. That's right. And there's no way to be able to get into that vault if you practice the security mechanisms properly. Yes. It completely changes the entire incentive and organization system. The calculus of violence is forever changed by Bitcoin. The other thing I like to think about here is if you, you know, typically when refugees are fleeing war zones, they just flee with the clothes on their back if they're lucky. Right? Yeah. They leave behind all their wealth, all the wealth and capital and everything they've accumulated. If you rerun those scenarios with Bitcoin as an option, it's like people can see the writing on the wall, right? As war is encroaching. Well, you can start to sell your assets into Bitcoin and you can run away with some of your capital. Maybe not all of it. Anywhere in the world. Exactly. In a hyper-portable, unseizable asset, then that makes the prospects of whatever was going to be gained less valuable to the encroaching uh warmongerer right so yeah so you get the, the the ability to sell capital and move it it dis it like inhibits the spread of warfare in a way because typically yeah. the, the warmonger will just come and conquer and take everything of value but these things can actually get sold and moved out more quickly so i think it, it it's inhibitory to warfare in that way and into that point too um Aldous Huxley had a quote that, uh, um, like financial, like willful social, like slavery is like 
um like there's there's something he had some quote that pertained to that but like what i was getting at was that one of the resources that war that warmongers seek to gain isn't just the resources within the earth it's the resources that are living upon it which would be the people mm-hmm. like people are a massive resource to gain out of yes. war yeah. what like throughout history they were it was used in the form of slavery but today it would more than likely be in the form of you like you take control of the people in the land and then you use the people to whatever means as far as production goes right so when you have when you have the bitcoin equation not only are the people removing their wealth but they're removing themselves as well yes so like so like when the when the evil actor or the warmonger comes to the area it's like fine you can have this but there's nothing here yes how are you gonna produce the land if there's nobody to produce it yes or develop the land. Sorry. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm trying to interpret that through our complex systems frame that we're using earlier. And maybe this ties into the human reproduction thing too. It's the strength of bonds is so critical for the growth of natural systems, something like that. So Private property yeah. just being a bond between you and the fruits of your labor across time. Marriage, right, being a bond between you and your wife. Um, it, the stronger those bonds are, the more growth you can have. Economic, you know, psychologically, romantically, on, philosophical. Be, you know, growing growth. a family, like actually growing people, like the, the, the yeah. proper container <laughs> for children is a tightly bonded nuclear family. Yep. And so we need strong bonds between individuals, between actually to your point too, on self-discipline, between ourselves and our values. Yeah. Right? That's what this that's what stoicism essentially is saying is like you're gonna hold true to your values, virtue, whatever it may be, no matter the circumstances. All right. Back to what did what did Frankel say? Like it's the final human freedom that Every man can choose his his way to respond in any given set of circumstances, and that's a freedom no one can take from you. So yep. you can choose in that final human freedom to always stay true to your values or virtue. You can Which stay, is kind of honestly stay true to your wife. Uh, you can stay true to your property now with well, Bitcoin makes it a much gives you a much tighter bond with property. So all of these we're talking about a, a system that has better bonds and therefore I guess better outcomes in terms of growth. Yeah. I was going to add too, like that big quote is almost kind of like a development off of Marcus Aurelius talking about how the way that we react to the world is our, like is our greatest power. It's just another way to say mm-hmm. that, right? Yes. Because like the world can act upon you in a way, but like yes. your greatest responsibility and accountability is how you respond to it. Yes. Yes, which is responsibility, right? The ability to respond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually a really, I never thought about that one. It's a great point. Yeah. And Mises also, value is not intrinsic. It is not in things. It is in the way man responds to the conditions of his environment. So this is literally yeah. where we create value is how we respond. And by making these agreements with other people and ourselves, whether it's to stay true to our values, stay true to our spouse or, you know, hold unseizable property that those, the strength of those bonds, let us respond more adequately 
to our circumstances and be more yeah. responsible in that way. So, man, that is like well, with that with this conversation, we've gone through like this is some pretty <laughs> dense stuff. Yeah, this is fun to talk about, but but it's out there, right? It's it's out there. It's it's philosophical, of course, but. I, you know what it is like back to the language thing even if we're wrong about some of this is like the attempt to break new ground or break new frontier with your language with your knowledge even if it's going to undermine something you said previously like well that's the point you're not trying to say the final thing that's you know this is it because there is no final thing you can say there's always more to say there's always more to discover but you're trying to break new ground it's also the importance of like people being prompt willing to admit that they're wrong yes like what you say in the past is not likely to hold true into that's right so like why hold on to it why defend that like that past identity that was right in the you wrong in the now yes that doesn't make sense and they're in i think you had mentioned it earlier is that like the problem is that they're grafting that identity onto themselves and they don't want to let it go yeah. But if you're comfortable with being with admitting that you are wrong now, you can continue to be more accurate or more correct into the future. Yes. Which is far more important than being correct. Like the past is done God. Yes. But the future can be changed. So yes. so like why why are you doing this map? Like what yes. is going on here? Better to be going the right direction than be right proven right in some past argument you know yeah um no it's a great point and then i think well now we're touching on humility right and how important it is and the faster things are changing in the world while the more upheaval there is the more of this language and knowledge is undermining itself more quickly the more humble you should be because guess what you're one node on a network of eight billion humans and many more billion across time. So, um, yeah, be humble with what you think and say. And I hope we're demonstrating that somewhat today. I know we get we get on these philosophical tangents, and people might think this is like armchair bullshit. Like, what are these guys even talking about? But I don't know. It seems important. It seems important to try to look at what is looking. You know? Yeah. Well, it's it's important for introspection or reflection, but it's also important because in my opinion, a lot of people have that position of like not enjoying those conversations because they're not exposed to them. Yeah. Like we need more and more individuals being exposed to this kind of conversation, this kind of thought to incentivize and inspire that kind of thought in themselves so that it can inspire these kinds of conversations going forward with others. Yes. Like that's a strong and healthy society. 100%. Which we do not have right now. No, 100%. And I hope that, again, the technology seems to be tilting things perhaps in our favor, right? That yeah, this whole peer-to-peer media movement. I know we, we touched on some... It's Technology is always a double-edged sword. So maybe it's creating some complications that you touched on earlier with plastic relationships and whatnot. But there's also this resurgence of dialogue, as we're doing right now, yeah. that you didn't have in the the analog media paradigm, right? We didn't have it five years ago, that's for sure. 
my mom was growing up she said we had channels three nine and twelve and if the president was on tv you're fucked like that was (laughs) that's all they had (laughs) yep now we have the internet and podcasts and et cetera, et cetera. So but it's, it's, it is important to, for people to also understand and acknowledge that these are all pendulum swings of momentum, mm-hmm. right? Cause like with the innovation and technology and everything, like the pendulum swing probably climaxed up to like five years ago. And then it started swinging backwards. And now we're in the middle of that downswing of momentum. So like in, and like both extremes are negative, mm-hmm. yes. right? So like we're in the process of where it's benefit benefiting us, but we will get to the point of where the 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 rebound pendulum swing will get to a negative, but we have to be able to like acknowledge and understand and like realize that that's happening. Yes, no, that's a great point. We had some other things we we're going to talk about, but I think we should finish this off in like a philosophical note, given how far we've made okay. it. Stoicism. You mentioned stoicism. Um, can we just talk a little bit about that? Young men that maybe haven't engaged with Stoic philosophy. Okay. Maybe recommended reading, recommended practices, things that you've implemented yeah. into your own life. Anything Stoicism related. Um, let's just riff on that for a little bit. Yeah, I would. Um, I think probably anecdotally of the most important or a couple of the most important readings or like there's plenty of audiobooks now for those that want to read it. Um, cause reading philosophy, I can have some issues with it. Like it's just mm-hmm. kind of like long run on sentences and they can be kind of hard to follow. Um, but specifically like the Seneca's, mm-hmm. um, Seneca has some, both Seneca and Seneca, the younger, they have some really good stuff specifically on anger and aggression. Um, there are some really good audiobooks on Audible that that touch on that. And the reason I say that is because we're we're in an environment right now where globally people are in such a fragile state mm-hmm. between I'll I'll refocus back on America because that's probably the worst example. Um or the best example. In America, we have these this prevalence of all sorts of health crises, right? We have the the, the obesity crisis. We have the chronic metabolic syndrome crises, which are feeding the obesity crisis. We have the multitudes of mental health feeding the other two. We have the addiction crisis with like the fentanyl and everything, which mm-hmm. is not being talked about in any of the mainstream media stuff. Um, and the masculinity crisis, which is feeding into problems with veteran suicide and all these other things, which are feeding into all of the other systems. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically understanding and being working on being able to control our own anger, our own aggression and our own frustration is the most important in my opinion right now, because if we look at what mainstream media is doing and trying to stir up these feelings of anger and outrage, hate, Mm kind of being able to control those emotions before we get to that point can put a, a damper on the effects in society. Yes. Right. Cause we don't want to get, we don't want to get to the point of where mass groups of young men are taking to the streets and making and doing things that will be mm. extremely regrettable and have many years of la- of knock on effects down the road. Mm. Right. Um, and then like the other aspect too, is just that, being able to control ourselves in what tends to be the most difficult to control situation, mm-hmm. right? Like 
reading out like guys that have like lost control of themselves in anger are going to understand what I'm talking about. We don't want those situations. Mm. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of like the whole like thread or foundation to masculinity is being able to establish the foundation of controlling ourselves in our most extreme moments. Yes. Like we don't want to give in to anger and hate, but we also don't want to fall prey to pure elation exuberance yes. because in at both ends of the spectrum we make foolish decisions mm. and we fall prey to our emotions mm. so i was having a i was having a private conversation with a friend of mine that's um very heavily involved in the political space and we were talking about how um not not a whole lot of people are capable of truly understanding just like just what they're capable of in those moments right like giving into just emotion in general because like um what we were talking about was that she had a misunderstanding of stoicism she would she thought that it was calling for almost adopting kind of like a, a depressive state to where you don't allow yourself mm-hmm. to experience emotion mm-hmm. well, that's not what stoicism is about right. it's about just being capable of controlling yourself regardless of what the emotion Yes. I think those those are probably like uh so like Seneca, Seneca, Seneca the Younger. Um Marcus Aurelius is a good one. He has some really good stuff. Um I don't think he's necessarily a stoic, but Arthur Schopenhauer, he's a yeah. good one. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah brilliant. Those are the main man. ones that yeah, those are the main ones that come to mind for myself. Yeah. Um no, that's a great point at the end there where there is a misconception about stoicism that it is the muting of emotion or the yeah. detachment from emotion or the um something like that, but it's it's more of a domestication of emotion, I think. Yeah. Learning to channel the energy properly, right? Rather than it controlling you, yes. you controlling it. That's and a great ang- point. Anger is a great example of this too because Anger is a weird one. Um, Peterson's talked about this. It's the only the only state that can is ambivalent. That can actually induce both negative emotion and positive emotions. It's like it's somewhere on the cusp. Because yep. if you're just angry to be angry, then it's gonna not feel good, right? You can't. There's no. You're mad about something you can't control, and this is what Stoics really go into, right? It's like delineating the two things in the world, the things within the sphere of your control and the things outside the sphere of your control. Yes. You should really focus on the things in the sphere of your control and be indifferent to the things that are outside the sphere of your control. Like, sure. Yeah. Things are going to happen. Accept it. These are operations of nature. You, you know, you've done your best, et cetera. Um, and you, with anger, it's like, if it's outside the sphere of your control and you're angry about it, then that's just going to be negative emotion, anger. Because what are you going to do, right? You're angry for no reason. Now, if it's angry about something within the sphere of your control, you can direct that energy toward a resolution to whatever you are angry about. So that would be like a righteous anger. And you want to harness that energy and point it at the solution, right? That's motivation. It's, It's giving you purpose and drive. So 
it's it's like stoicism teaches that right it's like like how to distinguish between the two and then what this righteous anger that is within the sphere of your control how to channel that towards a solution rather than yeah. just burning up about it and this and this get this touches back on what we were talking about with my article is that stoicism also argue like calls for in order to identify which things are in our control or which are out of control mm-hmm. we have to disconnect yes to remove ourselves from the equation and assess things in a very non-biased position. Yes. Right. Because like to, to the point of the conversation, if you're going to, and I believe, I can't remember which philosopher, it might've been Socrates or Aristotle or something, but worry causes the man to suffer twice unnecessarily. Yes. Right. Right. Because if you're going to worry about out of your control, you are literally putting yourself through suffering you're dedicating energy to your own pain and you don't even know what that it's for sure going to occur. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, and that, and that, that gets into a lot of like a lot of the guys that are really secure, particularly like the military operators that I know they have embodied that kind of approach where it's like, yeah, that happened. It's not worth my worrying about it right now. When we get to that event occurring, I will respond to it in kind. That's right. That's how I'm going to treat it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to think about the possibility of it happening. I will develop a strategy that I would prefer to use if it occurs. Mm-hmm. I have that in my war trust. That's that strategy, the tools that I need in order to do it. I'll respond to it if that, if if we have to cross that bridge. But until we have to cross that bridge, I'm not thinking about it. And that is responsibility again, right? You're even choosing when and what to respond to. Even saying that I'm not going to respond to that until the event arises. Yeah. You're being responsible by allocating your energies towards what you can control in the present rather than the thing that hasn't happened yet. So yep. it's, this, it's this adequate response to every condition that you encounter in your life. And um, another way I've heard this put is attached to your effort and your attitude, because these are really the only two things in your control. If you boil it all yeah. the way down, like you can really just try and have a good attitude almost everything else is outside of your control. Like if you really want to yep. get serious about it, you don't even, you can't even control your own metabolism, right? You don't, can't control your heart beating. You you can't, you can have a really good effort, right? Whatever effort you can muster and you can have a good attitude about things, but you cannot control outcomes. Yeah. So that is a, it's a radical form of detachment, but not in a way that's ignoring your emotions. I think it's just dealing with the reality of being a mortal yeah. Um, and, under, and under that's conditions actually, of scarcity. It's actually another good point that you touched on too, is that like going along the lines of like the yin and yang and everything else we've discussed is that detachment isn't a panacea, which I mentioned in my article. Mm-hmm. You can over detach and it can sure. become a negative, yeah. right? To the point of where you're not experiencing emotion at all. Yes. Like I've, I've put myself in that position where I was so numb. I could not have meaningful connection with anybody. It's I've not a there, place yeah. any of you guys would be. For sure. It's not a fun spot. No. And um, the other thing too, with, uh, with regards to like the, the responsibility of like placing ourselves in a good mood, disconnection allows ourselves to make sure that we are looking at the world and perceiving our environment and ourselves in a fair, responsible, and honest lens. Mm-hmm. Right? To the sense of... Um, like admitting, like you just said, we're all human. Yeah. Like we make mistakes. 
we aren't perfect. We can't expect others to be perfect either. That's right. Um, like looking at politicians, like they have incentives and all this other look at things with a fair and accurate lens, yes. but remaining honest. Because yes. if you're not looking at the world with the proper lens, they're going to bring it up for pen where you're the individual that is naively optimistic or you're extremely pessimistic and cynical. And then you're starting, you're getting into almost like a ruminative kind of like mindset of where the world is always against me. Yes. And there's, and there's something that I mentioned in the article. Uh, there's two studies that I know of that have looked into rumination, which mm. is part of depression, right? Where you're, mm. you're stewing on negative thoughts. The reason why having this disconnection and, and looking into like the stoicism and all this other stuff and being able to control our lens is that if you're not controlling your lens and you're engaging in this ruminative um, um, uh, behavior, if you're con contributing to all this, you're producing a negative environment in your, in literally in your brain that is producing mm -hmm. waste products mm -hmm. that can make yourself continuously more susceptible to that way of thought, mm -hmm. which is again, back to other things we've talked about. Like I was, like I was telling you in our powwow, you start to realize like how these systems operate. There are similarities across all of them. Yes. So like this rumination produces these, this environment in your brain where it makes you more susceptible to continued and more potent rumination to produce a flywheel effect. The vicious cycle. Stoicism. Yes. The vicious cycle. Stoicism yeah. allows you to interrupt that. Yes. Right. That's beautiful. And it's important. It's just important that people are aware of that. too. Well, I think this is a great way to bring it full circle because you're basically saying that if I hear you correctly, stoicism is a way to look at ourselves honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah this is what we are. This is, these are the circumstances that we face, that we all face. This is the nature of reality. This is the nature of how we respond to reality. There is an, there is a better way and there is a worse way in terms of allocating your energy, right? As you said earlier, if you worry about the thing, well, then you're wasting energy before the thing even happens. Yep. If you just cross that bridge when you get there, then you're being responsible, right? You're conserving your energy to better deal with the situation as it arises. Yeah. And so it's it's stoicism, looking at ourselves honestly, looking at others honestly, as we tied this to the beginning of the conversation, looking at the nature of words and knowledge honestly, right? They're provisional, they're yeah. limited. All of these things, language, ourselves, other humans, we are finite, we are imperfect, yet we are essential to life. And that is yes. a common thread between all of them. And that and that allows us to love ourselves and each other. Yes. Right. Where you and that allows like what you were touching on earlier with the being able to establish proper connections to our world and our environment. Proper connections, not yes. forced connections. And that's that gets into the whole communication protocol and the economy and relationships and everything. Proper connections, not forced. Interesting terminology there. Proper as in property. Not yep. forced as in not coerced, right? Yep. Consensual, yep. voluntary. Um, and these are the principles that libertarians espouse for building a sound civilization. Exactly. So, Mike, man, I think we have covered a lot of ground today. I hope um, the audience finds it valuable because I sure had a good time doing it. Oh, so did I, man. I, I, think, I, I think it's without a doubt that people will enjoy Awesome, man. Uh, I want to give you, first of all, where can people find you on the internet? And I think you said you had something you wanted to plug here as well. Yes. 
So um, you guys can find me on the internet as far as um, so Twitter would be the primary one. Um, my at is at the Mike Hobart. So that's T-H-E-E, emphasis on the two E's, um, and then Mike, M-I-K-E-H-O-B-A-R-T. Um, that's, I am on spaces and tweeting about things all the time. Um, if you want to find my Substack, which, uh, I have consistently referred to, um, it's linked on my Twitter profile. It'll just take you straight to the page. Um, those are really like the, the, the primary, um, it's really just Twitter. I, I try to stay off of all of their forms of social media. Um, and then the announcement was that, so for those that don't know, I am a co of five co-hosts for the Bitcoin veterans podcast where we talk, we'll talk about this stuff. We'll talk about what's going on militarily in the world. We'll talk about, um, the masculinity crisis. Like we've talked about, we'll talk about, uh, ways to kind of just pair and like, you know, training and all sorts of like kind of seer school stuff. Um, but then we also, we've interviewed like multiple different Navy SEALs and other interesting guys that are in the Bitcoin space that have military experience. Hmm. Um, and the reason that I plug that is a, because if you guys are interested, go find the show, obviously, but, um, we, two kind of partnerships with the Bitcoin magazine, Bitcoin conference in Nashville. And then we also have a, um, a team effort with, uh, Bitblock Boom. And that being that we have two major 70% discount codes for if you're in our veterans group for the group chat. Um, and that you don't have to necessarily be a veteran to be in our group chat, but you can be a family member or a service member as far as like police, EMT, fire, like any one of these guys. Um, the group has been growing extremely rapidly since we started about six months ago and the uh, I'm working, I've been building out a discord so that we can provide all sorts of Bitcoin resources, information, like if they're, you know, an FNG or a, like a, a fucking new guy to Bitcoin, like they can look up all the resources and everything. Um, we're providing, I'm building out resources for like, uh, those that want to like homestead for like building out, um, I can't remember the terminology, but like building irrigation systems with ponds and everything on a homestead. So they have self-fulfilling like water. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. And if, if, if you guys want to get into the group chat, into the signal and you want to partake into get it, take advantage of those discount codes for BitBlock boom or the Bitcoin conference, um, just contact us on Twitter, which is at, at Bitcoin veterans is the handle. Um, or you can just DM me directly if you find me on Twitter. Awesome, dude. Well, glad you guys are doing that work and, um, We'll have to have you you back on and do another one of these because this is a lot of fun. So thanks. Absolutely, man. I would love to be back on.